there's a lot of times in a race where I could go faster, but I choose not to. Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Episode six with Chase Kostelitz, and we had a fantastic interview with him today, Nick, or rather you did. Yeah, it was great. Uh, he's such an easy guy to chat to. He's really, really forthcoming. And lots of very strong views as well. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the part where he got into the racing and, uh, and told us exactly what it felt like to be out there in the draft train on the Carolinas Cup. And he's been paddling for four years professionally, so he's certainly had his fair share of firsts all around the world, not just in the U- in the USA, which is great to see how broad-minded he is, having travelled a fair amount. Absolutely. And listen to uh, listen out for Chase's pre-wedding preparation. That's fantastic, a fantastic way of preparing for your wedding, uh, revealed exclusively to us on SUPFM. And you can check those out in the show notes as well, um, www.supfm.com forward slash 006. Excellent. Right, let's hear from Chase Kostelitz. Well, welcome to Chase Kostelitz. It's great to have you on the SAPFM podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great. We're really excited. And um, we'd just love to get straight in. And my my, my best question is I'd love to know how you felt the instant you jumped on your first paddleboard. Where was it and (laughs) how did it feel? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, I know where it was. It was in um, St. Pete Beach, Florida. And it would have been uh, about 2006, but honestly, I cannot remember like the very first instance that I got on it. I definitely remember like the first few times, but I can't remember like that first exact time, or at least not vividly. But um, it was in St. Pete Beach, Florida, and uh, I was a kiteboarding uh, instructor at the time and heavily into kiteboarding. I was a, a sophomore in university. Um, there in our kiteboarding club got a couple of the first uh, stand-up paddle boards available in Florida at the time I guess and we would just mess around on them you know like <laughs> I, I, I had never seen another stand-up paddle board and we sort of just took them out when there was no wind for kiting and if there was a tiny wave on the Gulf of Mexico we, we would surf them but maybe I had paddled you know kind of sporadically on the board you know, once a month, if even that, you know, just kind of like if you just had a toy laying around and, and, uh, when you're, whenever you're bored, you, you jumped on it. But that was, that was sort of my first foray, but I definitely remember enjoying it, you know, and, and, uh, but really could, if you asked me, you know, then if I'd be here now talking to you guys or doing some of the things I'm doing with the sport, I would have, it would have been hard to imagine. Yeah, because there couldn't have been a sport at all in 2006. I mean, it must have been just sort of a freakish thing that people did on the water. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, that's, I guess, the best way to describe it is it was, yeah, I didn't really look at it as, I. there certainly, I didn't know there was racing. I, there, I don't think people were formally racing um, at that time. But yeah, it was just kind of like if you had a toy laying around, it was like, okay, you know, let's take this out and, and sort of play play on the water which uh, you know that's what it's all about right anyways 
but uh sure yeah. yeah so it made all the way over to florida i mean apparently it came in from hawaii in about what 2004 or 5 is that correct and to, to california i think yeah you know i'd always i would be interested i haven't seen anyone do like a a concise history of like exactly which you know the exact timeline i would like to see that but it was more or less that i guess like surf tech had the laird hamilton i think it was like 12 1 might have been like the first factory available board, but but certainly people have been stand up paddling for much longer than that. But but as far as like launching it into the, the quote mainstream and, and which is really when boards were starting to be mass produced. But but yeah, we had there was Sean Ordonez, which was a Hawaii shaper. He's still a shaper. A lot of the guys uh, that surf Jaws rise at boards, and uh, they were like his first batch of. Um, manufactured boards from Asia, and those were the ones that uh, we had two of them. Um, that uh, was the first board that I ever that I ever paddled on. Wow! So you really got in right at the start. Huh? But um, let me—you you were born and bred in San Diego. What uh, what sports were you into growing up? No, no, I was actually—I actually grew up outside of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And, oh, sorry. Uh, I was uh, yeah, no worries. I was landlocked and. Uh, I was very much into basketball. Um, I didn't really do any water sports at all. I, I played basketball, played a lot of sports when I was little, but then as I got to like middle school and, and high school, uh, it was all basketball and, and uh, pretty competitively. And I played my first two years in uh, university. And uh, that was sort of my, my upbringing, my, my competition background and that's really what I, I lived and breathed the sport. And, and then um, when I was, a, I think during my freshman year in university, I got into kiteboarding just because I was getting a bit bored with basketball and kind of burned out. And, and uh, our school was on the water and, and my neighbors were getting into, uh, they were taking lessons. And for whatever reason, I, I sort of sprung at the chance to try it. And uh, I was hooked, you know, kind of the same way people listening might be able to relate to getting hooked on stand-up. It was, I was, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was very much hooked on kiteboarding and that, and that, you know, and like I previously described, that's kind of what led me to, uh, stand up paddling. Mm -hmm. But so no NBA dreams then? Yeah, no, I, I definitely wanted to play, uh, NBA is extremely, competitive i mean literally the odds are about one in i think two million or something like because you know so uh, i was realistic and i wanted to play uh internationally in um in europe there's it was a little bit still an elite uh level but but a little bit more realistic my dad played professionally in germany so i that was sort of my 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 dream um was to play uh, professional basketball in Europe and travel, and uh, but yeah, and then you know, I, I got I got a little burned out, and but more than that, I, I sort of found a new passion um, in kiteboarding, and that sort of led me in a new direction. Okay, um, and I just saw on your on your bio on your website there was a thing called Water Monkey. Is that <laughs> something you set up? Yeah, yeah. So Water Monkey still exists. Uh, my, my, uh, my, now she's my wife, but at the time, girlfriend, 
uh, we started Water Monkey almost six years ago. And that was sort of, so like after I graduated from university in St. Pete, um, you know, I always liked working for myself and, you know, being an entrepreneur and I was teaching kiteboarding and uh, I needed to work, you know, I was out of school and I needed to, to figure things out. So we started Water Monkey as a lesson and rental and, and tour uh, business for standout paddling. And uh, uh I, I was the main instructor for like the first three and a half years, uh, just okay. just me and, and and my my wife running it, and we'd also put on uh, events and races. So I think in total we've done about fourteen so far. Um, but yeah, Water Monkey's still uh, still going. Oh, cool! And, and you're still um, a part of it and and quite active in it. Yeah. So now now we live out in San Diego. We moved here. Uh, a little over a year ago last february but we still have the business um we have two instructors and still you know deal with kind of the day-to-day -day operations it's it's mostly online so it's easy to work from here and do that and uh you know we go back to st pete in fact i'm going uh next week but you know probably three or four three or four times uh, a year that we're back there okay and is that st petersburg yep st petersburg oh Right near Tampa, if yep. I'm correct. Right? Tampa, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I drove through there quite a few years ago, actually, on a bit of fun. Yeah, it's a but, great place. Uh, yeah, it's great. Eh? Pensacola, all that down the Panhandle. It's, it's a good place. Yeah. So you're talking about traveling. You've you've traveled a fair bit. Huh? What are your memories of, of South Africa like? Yeah, so that was a, that was a nice change because I, I have traveled a fair bit with, with stand-up and um, – you know, that's one of the things I'm most thankful for, for the sport. You know, I love to compete, but I think, uh, I definitely am a competitive person, but I think the travel and, and seeing new places is, is like sort of the ultimate, uh, goal for me. And then competing's like almost just icing on the cake. But, uh, so South Africa was nice because it was kind of the first time in the last four years that I've traveled and, and it, hasn't been for competition you know which it's funny to say i've been to some great places competing but you still are sort of focused on on the race and it's not like a vacation so much it's still great but but south africa was up for our honeymoon and uh yeah it was amazing uh beautiful country. so it was just zero stress and just relaxation yeah. did you paddle at I, all for I fun or not? so i I actually raced the day before our wedding in St. Pete. We got married in St. Pete and there was a race. Uh, we got married on Sunday and there was a race on Saturday. And it was a race that like I, if I had, if I raced and placed uh, third or better, I will, I would have won like the series and I won five grand. So I was like, it was kind of a no brainer. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I did the race and that was the last time I raced or paddled for like a little over a month and then when we got to cape town um they had the weekly i think wednesday evening downwinder so uh i i had messaged in advance uh friend dylan the south african paddler and his dad hooked me up with a board and i did the downwinder and i have to say i was pr pretty out of shape <laughs> but yeah. it was it was more just a cruise and and uh, it was beautiful. It, like it, it was blowing almost forty, and and Table Mountains in the background. So I 
highly yeah, recommend that. <clears throat> the wind can really blow in Cape Town. I tell you, it's unbelievable, as, as you obviously know. Huh? So 40 knots in Table Bay. Where did you start? Do you remember? Um, it's the lighthouse. Uh, what's the lighthouse? Uh, Molly Point? Yeah. Could have been Molly yeah. Point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you went all the way down to uh, Bloberg Strand or Big, something like that? Big Bay, where the uh, – it's called Big Bay, right? The kiteboarding? Yeah. Place? Yeah. Big Bay, yeah. Bloberg Strand, yeah. That's where we – That's quite a distance, huh? It's quite a fair distance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was awesome. Make sure you don't hit Robin Island on the way. <laughs> Guys, because <laughs> they paddle out and around it uh, a few times. Yeah, I think it's only about 10 to 15 kilometers offshore. Yeah. A friend of mine just swam it. Crazy oh, guy. Jeez. And the water is pretty chilly. Yeah. So where else in South Africa did you go? Did you get up to the bush and did you see any lions and leopards in the standard we, big five? We did. And, and that, I have to say, was <clears throat> kind of the most memorable part. It, we, we flew into Johannesburg and drove to Kruger National Park and spent about a week and a half in there. And, you know, I... I don't know if you've been there, but it's just—it's so. Cool. I sure have. Yeah, it's amazing. I used to. I worked there for two years. No I was way. actually a game ranger. That's yeah, so it's cool. great. On um, which uh, uh, which rest camp? And the, it's called Singita. Um, you can get to it on singita.com. It's an exclusive private game reserve just oh, okay. off the western coast. Yeah, um, but it's all still connected to the Kruger National Park, and it's yeah. just waking up at four a.m. and listening to the lions roar—it's just every day, fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was I. We kept saying I could spend a uh, uh, extended period of time just living in the park for sure. So maybe I'll have to be a game ranger next time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, but um, hopping over to Europe, I saw something about you winning a uh, winning a huge mug of beer. Do you recall anything <laughs> like that? Yeah, yeah, that was the that was awesome. That was the first Lost Mills event. Um, that would have been 2012. I believe, and uh, yeah, Erdinger, which is like the the world's oldest wheat brewery, uh, they're still the sponsor of the event, and they gave me, I think it was a three-liter um, mug uh, for for winning, and, and uh, it was alcohol-free, because that's like their their thing, <laughs> that uh, they, they're alcohol-free beer, but, but yeah, it, and that event is cool. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to go back there in June for the fourth year in a row. And, and, uh, it's a cool vibe and it's funny. It's like, it's become, I mean, the, the most competitive flat water race in the world. And it's like in the middle of Bavaria and some like random little town that super sleepy, you know, not a lot of people there. And then here you have, you know, a, a handful of the world's best paddlers, coming in it's kind of a unique sort of thing and and uh i always enjoy going back that's crazy isn't it like a, a two-leg thing where you have to run across in between the middle of the race you have to run across a, a spit of land is that yeah correct? There's I got a, the wrong it's two man-made lakes so it's called the lost mills because there's 12 uh i think i believe it's like grain mills that are uh, underneath the lakes because it was a valley like a tiny valley that was flooded to film these like to to form the lakes and uh there's a dam in between and you have to do a portage it's it's the only race i've ever had to do a portage too which is it's kind of a bizarre yeah yeah it's cool it's kind of a unique <laughs> aspect to the event and uh and yeah i, I highly recommend uh, anyone in in europe or elsewhere uh checking it out 
Great. So when is that? Do you know, more or less? What's First weekend September? of June. Um, okay, right in the middle of summer, almost. Yeah. Right. Beginning of summer. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It, still kind of in the years past, it's been a, a bit chilly, uh, depending on your standards. But but uh, it's always, it's been super nice as well. So uh, definitely, definitely one of my f- uh, favorite events. Okay, okay, let's talk a little bit more about racing. Are you racing full time? Yeah, so I not really. I mean, so I, I assume you're talking about like as a career sort of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's uh, kind of a misconception with the the sport in general. Like, I am a quote professional, and you know, I guess. Well, what does that mean? I I get, I have sponsored that a board sponsor that, you know, pays my expenses to go to events, um, and I get boards, but, um, you know, outside of that, I'm, I'm not, you know, my main source of income and everything is from my business and, and other things. Uh, and that goes for most guys, you know, pretty much everyone uh, I know has a, has a quote real job. We always like to say, you know, it's like, paddling is great but no one's there are some guys i guess making a, a living from it but a lot of times they're the younger guys <laughs> that don't have i mean i guess guys like kai lenny and people like that huh well kai lenny and kai lenny and that's about it <laughs> <laughs> i mean kai there's nothing wrong with that i'm not saying i think it's great what kai does but he's kind of on another planet in regards to to the quote professional paddler you know a lot of times his name comes up like i just saw he's sponsored by uh tag the watch company and hurley uh, and gopro and red bull i mean yeah no one else has those sponsors and and no one else and and kai doesn't have those sponsors from paddling only he has it from his whole quote waterman deal you know he's a surfer kiter and paddler and and so it's kind of i don't want to say it's it's not frustrating but when someone says oh well kai you know like he's like i said i guess he's he's, he's kind he's of on of another planet now, isn't he yeah well for he's sure. that he's and, more... and, but but not even i mean he's a look he's one of the best paddlers but as far as using him as sort of a, a model of the professional paddler is like is grossly you know inadequate because it's uh it's just not you know what i mean like he's not he's sponsored for for everything else um and uh like the next guy if you want to it would be interesting to do earnings but pretty much i know everyone personally i know what i get i know what what everyone else else gets and and uh you know most everyone's primary sponsor is the board company and the board company's major pretty much every deal depending on you know who you are is for expenses but you're not actually making a salary you know you're not making making money and look i'm not complaining i i i really enjoy what what it's done for me and and i will continue to but um it's not necessarily it's not a career path you know the uh, to be a professional paddler Sure, but as the sport evolves, do you see um, how far off do you reckon salaried professionals would be? 
I, I keep wondering because I, you know, I'm trying to stick in there until, until I can uh, ink my major deal. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know, you know. I don't think it's anytime soon. Uh, if that, I think, you know, if you look at, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, when SCP gets in the Olympics and this and that, it doesn't really mean anything like, one of my sponsors is Quickblade, and, and Jim Terrell was a four-time, I believe, Olympian in the canoe, and he never made a living from that. And now, now that's different. There were, but there were certainly a lot of people doing, you know, canoe in the '80s. Um, but I remember him saying, you know, he was working full time um, and doing that on the side. And I just, I, I honestly don't think that there's a career in the foreseeable future for just being a professional stand-up paddler. Um, but surely television will change everything. I mean, I remember seeing last year, there was a quite a huge big show. And um, what was that What was that race called? And it was aired live on, on CBS or something. Yeah, there was the Ultimate Sup Showdown. And that was on CBS. And I'm doing Pay at River Games, which is going to be on the same network uh, coming up in June. Yeah, I mean, look, that helps, but you know, when you're on TV, that's good because, but you still have to get the sponsors, and that just makes you more appealing to say, you know, let's just say Red Bull to sponsor you or someone else because now they're going to get exposure. But the reality is, is one show once a year, or even two or three. Um, I, I think the the numbers as far as the viewers was small i watch you know i mean i watched the production it, it, it was you know it is what it is uh, but i i just i'm i try to be realistic with everything i do and i think i'm pretty well informed look i hope that there can be a path for 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 kids and you know guys coming up or you know even myself but having been doing it for five years and and being sort of well informed and, and in it um you know, to make, let's say a teacher's salary, which is like 35,000 here in the States, which should be more, but, mm -hmm. you know, let's say that uh, like salary, I'm not, you know, it's one thing to have expenses, but if there, if someone's paying you to go to these places, well, that pays for your travel. But at the end of the day, if you have a rent and a car payment and that, well, that's on you. So mm -hmm. talking about like salary on top of that, I just, I, I, don't see that happening uh, not for more than you know five guys uh sure. in the foreseeable future i mean that's just being realistic about it okay and who have your major sponsors been over the past few years yeah so when i first got into um to stand up paddling it was uh fanatic was my board sponsor um and uh quick play paddles are pretty much my two, you know, they were my main sponsors. Um, and now it's, uh, as of last year, I'm with BIC uh, for, for my board sponsor and really happy about that. And I'm uh, still with Quickblade. And then I have a bunch of smaller sponsors, um, Runa Energy Drink, or uh, it's a tea company. That's, that's pretty cool what they're doing. But uh, my only, you know, the only one really paying um, for me to, 
to get to events and stuff is uh, Bic. And it's and before that, it was Fanatic. So, you know, like I said, and I'm not trying to be like a downer or anything, but like you see these guys and girls at events, and they got all these stickers on their boards, and and they they're thanking like ten of their sponsors. But the reality is, is that okay, you know, like free sunglasses and sandals and and <laughs> sunscreen is great when you're you know 15 years old, but you know the, it's not like we're collecting checks from you know like a surfer who has sponsored on their boards a lot of times they're getting some sort of funding um from them sure okay um so it's i'd love to know what's uh, why did you switch from fanatic to bix up was that not a good question yeah that's a great question um yes it was kind of just good timing um you know i wasn't i'd been with fanatic for I almost yeah like four years and it was the only company I've ever been with and I sort of was used to how things were going and 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 I could see into the future you know it, it's kind of like if you can't teach an old dog new tricks so you know what to expect and there wasn't a whole lot of room for growth and I, I am sort of looking for a that career path and Bick at the same time sort of approached me um, and was interested in adding a a, a uh, international rider and it was just good timing and and there was a, a little bit more opportunity to work with Bick um, more more in a in a higher capacity than just as a uh, athlete and mm-hmm. uh, you know like I said just the career path of a professional athlete is, is not really there. So I'm, I'm thinking uh, a little bit more long-term and, and bigger picture with, with uh, helping on, you know, as a, in a, in a formal position with R and D and, and uh, product development and, and uh, things like that. Okay. Great. Yeah, Cause they seem to be a really dynamic company. They're putting out some great content. I saw some fantastic videos of them in Tahiti and, the stand-up pedal TV series, is, it seems to be run by them. I think it's, yep. it's great. Yeah, yeah. It really helps promote the sport, I think. Yeah, they, they do that, and, and, and they're a big company as far as, um, you know, internationally and, and what they do with uh, not necessarily race boards, but just the entry-level boards. Um, there's quite a lot, so definitely uh, there's room room to grow there. Sure. Okay. Now here's a question. Imagine our listeners are non-racers. Can you just des- can you describe what it's like out there in the chop leading the draft train in a race? <laughs> leading it. Yeah. Well, leading you? it. You were leading it. You in the Carolinas Cup. You were leading the a draft train, weren't you? Yeah. 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 Not the entire <laughs> race. I like to I like to be leading the the whole pack. But yeah, I've definitely been in the front, and uh, yeah, it's fun. I you know it. So to someone that's never raced, it's it, it's uh, you're tired, <laughs> but uh, you know it's it's a psychological game out there, and a lot of endurance sports, it's you know um, you have people behind you if you're leading the train, and and you know that they want to get in front of you, so uh, you're just you're pacing yourself. It's it's about being smart, so there's a lot of times in a race where I could go faster, but I choose not to because I know, you know, I'm timing 
the duration of the race and what I need to save, you know, to be able to, to either catch the group in front of me or to beat the guys that are behind me who are inevitably going to try to pass me. So you kind of have like this feeling of anticipation and, and you're, 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 uh, you're sort of planning ahead. Um, and, uh, that's a fun, a fun, uh, sort of game that I like to play. And do the guys hassle each other? I mean, you verbally chat to each other on, <laughs> on the race. I, I wish there was more coming from basketball. You know, there's, there's a fair amount of trash talking and yeah. uh, in basketball, depending on the game and, and stuff. And I wasn't a big trash talker, but I certainly, uh, I like the, there's, it's more physical obviously. And, there's not a lot of talking, you know, in draft trains, guys are pretty quiet. I think I'm definitely usually the most verbal one where if someone's in front of me, I'm usually giving them encouragement, like, you know, let's go push the pace. You know, uh, if there's, if we're in a draft train trying to catch someone in front of us, you know, that's when I'm, I'm definitely doing that. And that has a psychological component too, because I want them to go fast to help pull me up to that draft train because uh, it's going to benefit me, but I also plan to pass that person that's pulling me up there. Once you've so, worn him out, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, with uh, with uh, it, with sportsman like um, intentions, but but that's sort of you know I find I'll share this with the listeners a little inside uh, gamesmanship, but a lot of times the younger guys are a lot easier to manipulate. <laughs> Because, you know, they're trying to, to prove their, their quote, manhood and, and, you know, pull the draft train and look how strong I am. And so I'll definitely give encouragement like, hey, you know, let's go. Come on. You know, yeah. let's catch them. And it, it's, it's still sincere because I want to catch them. But I also, you know, if, if they're a smart paddler, they may push the pace, but they're only going to do so to the extent that they understand that they're not going to wear themselves out. But um, sure. yeah, I enjoy but no, the that. Ba- the Battle of the Paddle sounds like a completely different race and really intense. Um, how was your race in 2014? Because we had some super large waves. And, uh, yeah. Wasn't that correct? Well, the elite race was, you know, to put it lightly, it was pretty crap. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I had a, uh, so I was, I, I, I was in the final and, you know, I, I, I have some frustration with that race as an athlete you know in the just in my performance has not been what I wanted but but also from the race director's side as as far as it's the biggest race in the world it's our de facto world championship but it's also uh one of the the most poorly officiated races as far as you know organization on the start line um, you have guys and girls just with no room completely on top of each other. And I'm actually writing a post, uh, right now about, I've written posts in the past about how critical a start is, but so it's evident there, but it's basically like, if you have any kind of race, if you look at swimming, running, horse racing, track and, you know, uh, cars, the start is is fair and separate and controlled, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, the BOP in particular, in other races as well, it's a bit chaotic. And I think that's something 
personally, it's it's been quite frustrating. And then, uh, but then for the 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 health of the sport and for you know all athletes, it's something that we need to fix. And uh, so, anyways, with the BOP, um, because you have so many guys, all of those you know poor sort of circumstances are magnified. And and uh, you know you have just chaos and and you know in my opinion and look they don't shy away from that it's called the battle of the paddle right i mean yeah i think the only word that came out of 2014 was carnage i just saw the videos yeah yeah and and you know like look i think that's what they advertise you know but the reality is it's sort of in this in this weird place where the event doesn't really ask for it to be called you know to be put to the level that it is but it's the world championship of our sport i mean i don't care what anyone says yeah the isa has their world championships coming up but you know name the isa winner from two years ago you know Mm. now name the bop winner from two years ago or you know like the bop is just has way more media coverage and weight and and it's our world championship and then so for the world championship of of any sport to be so chaotic and sort of like a free for all, um, I think it's it's crazy and, and it's, it's quite frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. Is this why you started the Sub Athletes Association because of these um, issues in the sport that you'd, you'd like to rectify? Yeah, I mean that's a good segue to it. I mean, um, basically, yeah. I mean that's that's what was happening is there would be you know I, I've raced in pretty much every major international race and every major, you know, domestic race here in the States over the last five years. And like the one theme at all of these events, besides all the good stuff, like, look, I'm not trying to be negative. I, I want to improve the sport, but, but there was always some issue in some sort of, uh, you know, whether it was someone illegally drafting or you know someone didn't go around the right buoy or the prize money wasn't paid out and it was just crazy and and at literally pretty much every event um, would have something and and the excuse was always oh well the sport is young and 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 this and that and it's like okay well six five six years ago you can say that but even then I didn't like that excuse but now it's like look this is the eighth year of the BOP and we're still, you know, dealing with events that that have, you know, sort of things that I, I don't think should be acceptable for a sport. And, and the reason I don't think it's acceptable, and, and I'm a professional athlete, and so it, it, it comes loaded with my perspective, but I, I believe that this is important for someone that's even never raced before and is a beginner athlete because everyone's time – is invaluable you can't put a price on it right so Mm -hmm. the time that someone takes out of their life to train for a race and to go and attend a race you can't put a price tag on that so when they go you a race director owes it to that person whether they're a professional or it's their first race to have a fair and clean and safe event and and I, I just don't – I think a lot of times that just gets overlooked because the sport is growing and everyone's just stoked to be there and, and all of that. And that's good. But, but I think, 
you know, it's just as important to sort of recognize uh, these issues and fix them. You know, not to mention at the start of a race, you know, boards are banging together. Someone spend, you know, three thousand dollars on on a on a board and their paddle and and uh, to me, it's just it's just it's unacceptable. So, do you think you're making headway? Yeah, I mean, that's you know. So basically, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? Yeah, so absolutely. That's sort of what was happening before the athletes' association. In my own head, was all these events had you know there was the same issues, and we were having the same discussions between the athletes at the end of the event, like, oh man, we got to fix this, and oh man, that was a terrible start, and blah blah blah. And, and so that's why I started it or else, you know, I was going insane. And, uh, so since then, you know, we've been in operation a little over a year. We have, uh, 40 certified race officials, actually 43 now, uh, around the world with the idea of, you know, here I am. I don't want to sound like I'm just complaining about this. I want to do something about it because there's a difference. Anyone can sort of sit there and run their mouth about how they don't like something, and in and, and politics or in life in general, but what are you doing to fix the situation? That's what I'd like to see. So that's why I created the Athletes Association so that we could create a race official certification to pass this knowledge on to the race officials for how to properly execute a start, to how to make a race safe so that we could give them the tools and the information to, to implement it and improve the sport. But it must be an unbelievably difficult task to set up an association like this and try and bring in everybody, like the credibility of, because obviously everyone has to believe in it yeah. and adhere to the rules. And so if you've just been one short year and you've got 43 officials and you're also, um, I think, am I correct in saying that the ISA has recognized you as well? Yeah, so we're, we're an officially recognized association by the ISA. Um, what does that mean? Uh, you know, I'll be completely honest. That doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> but, but I, I'm continuing to work with them. Uh, to they've adopted some of our rules unofficially, but I'm I'm you know like any bureaucracy, like it's easier said than done, right? Than to implement something or to get formalized changes. But I've had countless meetings with you know. Um, the, the operations manager, which is a, a new guy, Liam Ferguson. Um, I've had a few meetings with Fernando, and I, I'm, I've been in communication with him, the president. Fernando isn't so much involved in the day-to-day -day operations. He's more sort of the face of the organization, um, but he's still an important part. But they definitely recognize our uh, input and understand that, that – uh, you know, we know what we're talking about and they want to work with us, but I'm, I'm continually trying to sort of formalize that, um, so that, so that we can, you know, gain, gain greater, uh, ground. Okay. And you say us, how many people are there involved in the day-to-day -day running of, um, what do you call it? SAPA or SAP Athletes Association? Yeah. SAPA, uh, is a easier way to say it. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, to be honest, it, it's we're we're not not really making uh, much money, so I can't really pay anyone. So I'm doing uh, pretty much all of the 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 day to day operations as far as the website, social media, uh, the articles, uh, 
you know, following up with the race directors, the race official certification courses. I did, you know, and continue to do all of that. Um, but I try to, you know, I, to anyone listening, and, and I've made this clear from the beginning, I want as much involvement from as many paddlers as possible. But if I sat and waited around for, for someone else to do something, nothing would be done. Um, because, you know, it's, it's hard to do work for free, right? Everyone, everyone has every, you know, their own things going on in their life. So I'm very much the one doing, all, which is fine. I mean, that's the way I want it. Um, or I do, not the way I want it, but I, I don't, I don't mind doing that. Uh, but I'm certainly constantly, you know, on a daily basis in communication with other athletes, our advisory board, race directors, um, sponsors, brands, uh, to, to sort of move forward in a, in a unified, um, direction. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, you released an ebook recently, yep. um, and that could be a, a decent revenue stream. It's, what is it all about that ebook? Yeah. So th that was kind of the idea with that is to, to take, you know, uh, my knowledge of, of everything. It, the ebook is SUP training the smart way. And it's like the encyclopedia of Santa paddle racing and training. So it covers race strategy, technique, nutrition, um, specific race training workouts, interval sessions, cross training, nutrition, equipment selection, you name it, it's, it's in there. And, uh, it was definitely a labor of love It's 250 pages. Um, and wow. And you did that all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, That's immense. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, with, you know, with the input and, 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 uh, knowledge of other people, not just me, but coming from my perspective. Um, and, uh, I'm pretty proud of it. I think anyone, I, I mean, I, I say that, that, uh, if you don't like it or don't think it was valuable, we'll give you a, f a full refund. So I, I'm, I'm very confident that whether you're, you've been racing for seven years and your name's Connor Baxter, uh, all the way to, to someone that's never paddled before there's value in there. I truly believe that, uh, it was actually pretty cool last weekend at the Carolina cup. I had a, a few of the top top paddlers that you know were in the top 10 at that race you know say to me that that they've been reading the not even the book but the articles i've been posting they're like yeah you know i i really i really like those i there were some things i learned some new things and that's feels good and i've had that from beginners too and and it feels good because ultimately i want to i want to help improve um people's experience from everything i'm doing through SUPA and then and and also, you know, this ebook is just sort of another tool um, to to help stand up paddle athletes. Yeah, I think it's totally valuable. I'm a member of your your email address, your email list as well, and I, f I found it amazing that somebody's writing that stuff, which is great. And it's also very well written. So cool. Thank Thanks you. for that. Yeah, um, Chase, you're a keen promoter of SUP, but you're also a SUP superhero. So how can normal <laughs> people? How can normal people like us help to promote the sport? Just any any tips and ideas for, for normal people to, to help promote the sport? I don't think of myself as a superhero, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I think just get your friends and family out on board, you know? I mean, that's sort of the way I started and with the sport and, and continue is, 
is uh, just let them experience what we all experience. And, and then more than likely they're going to get hooked and we have a, a new, um, a new advocate for our sport, you know, and it just multiplies. And, and uh, I think get involved too, you know, go out, support your local race, uh, tell them about the athletes association, check out everything that we're doing on um, scpathletes.com. And, uh, you know, not everyone, some people might just go out and paddle in the lake behind their house and they could care less about, you know, local race. And, and that's fine. I think that's what's, what's the beauty of our sport is it, it there's has such a huge range of, uh, participants and, and applications. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I just say get out there. Great. Okay, well, thanks, Chase. It's been fantastic chatting to you. We really, really enjoyed this talk. And where could people find you online? This is the last question. Yeah, so so check out uh, Um And then uh, my personal website is Chase Kosterlitz, K-O-S-T-E-R-L-I-T-Z.com. And uh, yeah, shoot me an email and always happy to chat. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you in the water.